Well, as you can tell, we're on spring break. But still, it's so good to be with you this morning. Charlie is up the hill, and I get the pleasure of being down here with you. And so um, thank you for being here. And that song we just, uh, the new song that we just sang, All About You, is, is I think it's, it's pretty timely for where we are in the church and the nation. But it's a great reminder to us that it doesn't matter how slick of production a church has or not. How good of a, a, a preacher or how good of a band and lights and all of that cool stuff that really at the end of the day it's just all about Jesus. It's all about Him. We live in a culture that that helps reach people. It's not the gospel, but it provides that environment where they, they feel comfortable. You know, they can come in, the lights are dim. And they can engage with God. But as we've seen all throughout history, and as Charlie has even alluded to the past couple of weeks with the Asbury revival, it's all about God. And revival happens and life change really begins to happen and stir. Most of the times, or I'll say a lot of the times, not with the lights and the smoke and all of that, but with just people coming as they are, offering themselves to the Father just as they are with surrender, with sincerity, with repentance, with brokenness, saying, I need you. And the starting of that song, All About You, says we're clearing off the surface. And if you wear glasses like I do, and if you were to look through my glasses right now, I see fingerprints, I see sweat, and who knows what else. I think... Um, I was looking over the message and my cat licked my glasses even. So I probably have cat spit or whatever on my glasses. But we need a shift of our lens to bring things back into focus and to get back to the basics of the glory of God and His holiness and who He is. We're really good as a church about putting extra things on when the gospel's pretty simple. I love the line in the song that says, our priorities are changing. We remember while you made us, we are all sons and daughters just dancing with our Father. It's not that complicated. That's true. Now, life is hard, but the Christian life doesn't have to be hard. Again, a lot of times we make it hard by shifting our focus off of God and who God is and what His Word says is, and then we become a little bit more like the culture when that is not who we've created to be. We're created to be of the world, in the world, but we are not of this world. Our standards are different. The gospel is different. It is truly the good news for a lost and a hurting world that's searching just for meaning and searching for purpose when there's voices all around us trying to tell us who we are and who we're not and what we can say and what we cannot say. We've got to get back to the place where it is about Jesus. And I believe God's been doing that in my life for a little while here. It's, it's been a process of Him stripping some things away and, uh, and redefining some things purging some things, teaching me some things, and most importantly, just reminding me that He is a good Heavenly Father. Um, I don't know about you, 
Most of you probably know, some may not, but my 2023 20, has not been the best. On Tuesday morning, February 7th, around 7.40 a.m., my life and the life of my family shifted uh, and that we lost my dad to cancer. 2019, he uh, out of nowhere got colorectal cancer and 2020 was uh, it was a fight lots of chemo lots of radiation lots of surgery but praise god towards the end of 2020 he was cancer free 2021 is rocking along all good but then something didn't feel right late 2021 the, the cancer came back spread and after multiple trips to md anderson and his oncologist in oxford and everything they tried to throw at the cancer Cancer just goes like, bring it on. Bring it on. And uh, the, first, the first week of February, he was having a little trouble catching his breath, but that could have been a side effect of the cancer drug. But we went to the ER. My, well, we, my mom took him to the ER, and come to find out there was little spots of pneumonia on his lungs. That caused pressure in his lungs, fluid around his heart, caused his right ventricle to fail, and we lost him on February 7th. And that Monday night, I had the blessing, and I pray that I'll never forget. The moments that I got to spend with him, with just the two of us, father and son. And we were with him when he passed. And it's pretty incredible. You know, we were sad, we were crying, but we were, we were encouraging him, man. We were cheering him on. And, and I, I won't talk about this today, but maybe another time. But my dad was seeing and hearing things that we could not see or hear. And it was not because he was out of his mind. No, he was very present. But he was starting to see the other side. And my gosh, man, the power and the presence in that place was unbelievable. And when he breathed his last, all of a sudden... That shift of sadness, I, I mean, it was like whew, dry eyes and just peace and strength. And it was like we were being clothed and wrapped in what that scripture talk, talks about, that peace that passes all understanding. And I've had many, many people ask, well, how are you doing? Well, how are you feeling? How are things? How are you really doing? And, and, and I appreciate that because I think we as humans, we have an incredible tendency to minimize how we are really doing. You know, life, uh, life hurts, it, it gets hard, and we tend to kind of not want to feel that pain, so we just push that pain away, and we become really busy, or we take on new things, or we take on more of what uh, we're already doing just to be able to cope but years ago, a mentor of mine began to instill this practice inside of me that no matter where you are, no matter what you do, no matter how you lead, no matter in what situation, be very present, be who you are, and bring all of you in that moment to Jesus. Because he knows it anyway. 
And out of that moment of authenticity, lead from that moment. To put on a smile when you're cracked open inside is plastic. It's fake. Allow the mercy and the grace and the strength of God to move through you even in pain and loss and grief and mourning because God truly is our strength when we are weak. Allow Him to be the sweet aroma through your grief and through your mourning and allow that in whatever it looks like to impact those around you. So this morning, I could be a little bit all over the place, but um, I pray that I'm coming for, to you from an, an authentic place. Studies have shown that we as humans really don't handle loss that well. But those studies also show that we're pretty resilient and with community support and time and healthy habits that uh, we can learn how to deal with grief in life without whatever it is or whoever it is that we may be grieving to establish this new normal. But the opposite is also true. We can hide and we can minimize and we can do any and everything to numb that, that pain, to numb that grief, and that can lead us down a road of even more hurt and more pain and more longing. I want us to look this morning. It's not going to be on the screen. But if you have your Bible, if you have your um, phone or tablet and you read um, that way, a lot of times I, I read um, from my phone. I have the Bible app. If you don't have that app, hey, I encourage you to download it. It's free and has all different types of versions and great Bible studies and all that stuff in there. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 13. Paul is speaking to new believers in this new church at Thessalonica. Even though Paul's ministry there was brief, it is clear that people had come to believe in and hope for the reality of Jesus' return. And they were living in expectation of His coming and eagerly awaiting that turn, believing that He could come right then in their life. And because of that, some apparently thought those who had already died would miss out on the second coming of Christ and their life had been plunged into hopeless grief. So Paul is speaking into that moment and he says this in verse 13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's Word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Philippians 4, verse 6 Paul says, don't worry about anything. 
but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice it doesn't read the peace from God, but the peace of God. Peace is part of His divine nature. Peace is a person. Peace is who He is. We see Jesus speaking peace into chaos in the Scriptures. We see Him speaking peace and His authority over storms and they're calmed over lives and they're restored, over demonic possessions and people are released into freedom. And we see Him restoring and giving salvation to those who receive and believe who He is. So peace is not just from God, it's of God. Peace is who God is. And where the presence of the Lord is, there's peace. We read the scripture often about, oh, the presence of the Lord, there's freedom. And that's absolutely true. But where the spirit of the Lord is, all of his attributes are there simultaneously for us. Peace, grace, mercy, hope, redemption, rescue. It's all in the person of Jesus. Purpose, power. We have all heard life isn't fair. We live in a world that sometimes is not fair, but Jesus reminds us that we are not of this world. He he says we're going to face hardship and persecution. And I believe that right here in America, in the church, I think we're about to encounter persecution like we probably haven't seen in a while. You're already starting to see places where A pastor teaches on something and someone labels it hate speech and we see churches being vandalized and things like that. Persecution is coming. It's here, but I think here in America we've been sheltered from it just a little bit. But I feel like it's going to start ramping up here a, a pretty good bit. But Jesus says we're going to face hardship. There's going to be sadness, there's going to be sickness and death. But greater is He and us than He that is in the world because we were made for eternity. We were not made for this world. And it's not fair that sometimes the best and most qualified person gets the job or the promotion. It's not fair that there are people in the world dying of hunger while there is enough money and resources to eradicate hunger and thirst forever. It's not fair that some get medicine um, they need and others go without because they can't afford it or it's not available where they live. It's not fair when people lose their jobs to corporate greed and corporate excess. It's not fair that innocent people die way too soon due to unfortunate life events and illness. It's just not fair. It's not fair that some of your loved ones has had their or friends have had their life cut short because of life's unfortunate events. And it's not fair my dad. A person who at the age of 16, who he said many, many, many times, felt the call to minister and meet people in their darkest hour through the funeral industry 
At 16, he felt that call, and he says he felt that call so strongly that he equates it to a pastor being called to the gospel. It is not fair that a guy who gave his life and who I witnessed be so loving and so compassionate and meet the needs of people and their grief and mourning, and then after that, it's not fair that someone like that, who's so generous with his life, would die. But we do not worship a God who is fair. Let me say that again. We do not worship a God who is fair. We worship a God who is just and a heavenly Father who is good. If God was fair, then we would all receive the penalty and the punishment for our sin. But instead, we receive mercy and forgiveness. We receive life and power, purpose, and eternal destiny far greater than anything we could achieve in this world. Before the foundation of the world, our perfectly heavenly Father chose to sin His only Son, Jesus, to be our ransom and deliverer. God's justice and God's mercy met us and the person of Jesus. And He gave us life when we deserve death. In Philippians 2, Paul wrote, Philippians 2, starting with verse 6, speaking of Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by coming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And let us not miss that phrase, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, dot, dot, dot. Even death on a cross. Because that was the most, and still is, the most cruel punishment and most painful punishment one could ever experience. Yet Jesus, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross for you and for me so that we would not perish and our sin. So life is not fair, but God is good. And we have this hope that as sons and as daughters of God, by believing in His death and resurrection, that we will live in heaven forever with Him and our loved ones who went to sleep before us. And I love how, how Paul describes that. When we die... Yes, we are present with the Lord, but our bodies, we're just asleep. We're asleep awaiting for that resurrection. 
And I don't know about you, when I'm hurt and I'm brokenhearted and in the midst of pain and loss, a lot of times I don't need a person. I mean, I don't need answers. I need a person. I need someone who's going to walk with me and, 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 and comfort me and be beside me. Words are great. And I receive those words, but I need a person. We see that in John chapter 11. On the death of Lazarus. So chapter 11 begins, Jesus is only a few days away from the cross. I don't know if y'all remembered that or not, but as I was studying, I just had to stop and pause because, I mean... Here he was in intense ministry. Scripture says he was probably about a day away from the outskirts of Jerusalem where Lazarus lived, but he was off ministering and he received the word that Lazarus was sick. And scholars tell us that probably when we look at the time frame, Lazarus probably died on the way to the messenger telling Jesus that he was sick. But Jesus, being God in the flesh, already knew what was going to happen. So he delayed going to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus for two days. Why? Because he, he's mean? Because he was unconcerned? No. No, 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 no. Sometimes God does not answer our prayers like we think he should answer our prayers. But we have to understand his purpose is greater than what we think should happen. So Lazarus died. Six miracles had already been presented before Lazarus being raised from the dead. But none, including the resurrection of the widow's son and Jairus' daughter, came close to Lazarus' resurrection because the other two occurred immediately following death. Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. And the Jewish preparation of the dead wasn't as sophisticated as the Egyptians. The Jews didn't embalm. They didn't even wrap the body as tightly as Egyptians did. Hence, as we see Lazarus, Lazarus walking and wrapped in his garments. So, Lazarus would have started very rapid decomposition. Probably a very ugly scene. And in the King James, when Jesus says to roll the stone away, I love the phrase there. It's funny. Some people say, but, but Master, by now he stinketh. Decomposition had already begun to happen. And the delay was because Jesus loved the family and wanted not only family's faith, but his disciples' faith to be greatly strengthened by Lazarus being resurrected. The delay also ensured that Lazarus had been dead long enough that no one could misinterpret the miracle or fraud, claimed that it was just fraud and he was just resuscitated. He was as dead as could be and in decay. 
And we see Jesus making an astounding statement to Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Verse 26, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he asked her, do you believe this? See, the original Greek language and the meaning of these verses are very powerful. In verse 25, Jesus is making an I am statement, representing that He is God. Jesus was saying, I am the God of the resurrection. I am the God of life. The tense and the wording there in the Greek language is not based on a single isolated moment in history. But what the Greek tense is saying is Jesus is communicated, I've always been the resurrection and the life and I will forever be the resurrection and the life. So although our grief is real and will be for some time, our grief is wrapped in hope because Jesus is alive. And when Jesus rose from the grave, all of hell and death and sin and cancer and terminal illness, suicide, all of that defeated. Because our story, and you and I have this beautiful story, is rooted firmly in God and Jesus' victory over the grave. But still, in the midst of our mourning. We want answers. And that's okay. It is okay to want answers. But the answers just may not come the way we wish they would. So in the midst of our suffering and our grief, words are great, but we need a person and we need Jesus. And Jesus walked into that moment... And he spoke life into a situation that was already in decay. And Lazarus came out of that tomb. And that was also foreshadowing what was about to happen happen a few days later when Jesus gloriously was resurrected. And our hope in him means we will be too one day. If you don't know how to navigate grief, it can cripple you. It can harden your heart. Did we pray for my dad's healing? Absolutely we did. Every day. Even in his final moments, as frail as he was on on, on his, his deathbed, we prayed and we knew that God could absolutely cause him to get up out of that bed fully restored. But we also had to understand that if he didn't answer our prayers when we want, the way we want, and the time that we want, that we had to trust that he knows best, that he is our perfect heavenly father, and he is a good father. He's not doing his best. Instead, God knows what's best for us. He is within us through the Holy Spirit and He will never leave us. Nor, as Scripture says, He will never fail us. So mourning is biblical. Scripture says blessed are those who mourn. It's biblical if it takes you to God. 
But mourning will take you to one good place, one of two places, either to God or to unbelief. And sometimes we don't even realize that unbelief has a cure, has occurred. You can read this uh, uh, later when you get home. So we're running out of time, and I want to I park this here. In Mark 16, we read Mark's account of the resurrection, and we see the women going to the tomb, and the women were the first to see that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And, and it says that they ran and they told people, and they didn't believe. And then a couple of verses down, it says that Jesus revealed himself in another form to two of the disciples, and they still didn't believe. And then in verse 10, you see the eleven in the room mourning, and they did not believe. So there's one route in mourning where we don't have answers, we don't have the solutions, we don't have the strategy, but we know who to come to and to go to and surrender to when we come to this place in abandonment and, and sacrifice and even thanksgiving and praise because even in our mourning and even in our loss, we can give praise and worship to God because He is good. And we can have gratitude even when we don't understand and even when things don't happen our way. Because in our engagement with the Holy Spirit, He comes and He comforts. So one road, as I've said, in mourning takes you to the comforter and the other road will take you to unbelief. And it's about coming to that person of the Holy Spirit. Just as I am with all my questions, all my hurt, with all my grief and disappointment, and to just surrender, to just lay that down, all my questions, and to rest and know that He is God. And this is important, to know that I am not God. And He's not some genie in a bottle. But He is good and He is perfect. And there's nowhere I can go, there's no tears I can shed that He is not right there with me. A picture being the leaven in the room. You're hiding, you're grieving together in a home, you're scared to death because Jesus was just brutally murdered before your eyes and you're scared that you might be next. There are tears, there's questions that you don't have answer for, but you aren't resistant to truth. Weakened and possibly demoralized because they just saw Jesus crucified. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up as the resurrected king in their room and it says that Jesus rebuked them because their heart was hardened and they didn't believe. You see, sometimes in grief and loss that can cause us to lose a little bit of our faith. And I don't mean lose our faith in the sense that we can lose our salvation. I don't believe that. That's not what I'm talking about. But we can lose our faith in God's ability to do the miraculous. To do the things that only He can do. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you are right now. So instead of praying for someone with cancer, you're like, nah, I did that. It didn't really turn out the way I thought it was going to be. So I'm just going to go over here and maybe I'll serve in the children's ministry or maybe I will 
help with the youth, or, or I'm just going to go over here, but man, I, I prayed for that for so long, and it didn't go my way, so I, I guess I just don't have the power, the strength, or the anointing to do that, so I'm, I'm just going to go over here. And just because God does not answer our prayers in the ways that we think He should answer our prayers does not mean He is any less powerful, because He's not. He is absolutely powerful. More so than we can believe. We're talking about the God that spoke the word and things came out of nothing. And breath was given to lungs. And life was made and formed. And the universe was formed. The scripture says He calls out the stars and He names them one by one. That's a God of power. It's a God who calls people from the grave. I believe that can happen. I 100% believe that God delivers people from death today. Even though God did not answer my family's prayers. But in that moment, when Jesus rebuked their hardness of heart and their unbelief, I want you to read later what comes. Man, he gently restores with them. He gently restores them with power. And he tells them, You're going to preach the gospel in all the world. And he goes on and tells them the power that is going to happen through their lives and the things that they're going to do. And he reminds them, even in their sorrow, even in, as St. John of the Cross said, the dark night of their soul that He will always be with them. Peace is the abiding presence of God in our life through the Holy Spirit. And the pain is real and it's rough and it will take a while to get through loss and disappointment. But this is what's so beautiful that even in loss, if we will allow it to be, and we, res- we surrender ourselves to God, our mourning and our disappointment can be a seed that brings life, growth, and increase, not because we deserve it, but because of who is inside of us and who we belong to, our perfect heavenly Father. And if we think about it, we've made it through 100% of our most difficult moments so far. So instead of despair, through the power and the surrender of our lives through the Holy Spirit, we can choose joy. Instead of doubt, we can choose trust. If God has brought us through it all this far, He will do it again. You and I, as sons and daughters of God, we can exercise our right to hope and trust in God. We can exercise our right to choose joy. And yes, the Holy Spirit is the peace that passes all understanding. And a lot of times we have to shift our understanding. 
because it's beyond our ability to understand. We'll know one day. But here, we just have to walk with Him by faith. Every step. Knowing that His purpose is greater than we can imagine. And we were not made for this world. We were made for eternity. So grief and mourning and loss and disappointment, it's going to come. It's natural. It's healthy. But let us grieve and mourn with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before Him, died on the cross for our sins. He came back from the grave, and even at this moment, He is seated at the right hand of His Father, and my dad is there. And if you've lost loved ones, if they were in Christ, they're there too. And we have this hope that we'll all be together one day. My dad's more alive now than he has ever been. And I shared in his funeral that when he breathed his laugh, cancer didn't laugh. Cancer trembled because it was a reminder that cancer is defeated. It's been defeated because of Jesus. And whatever you're going through today, yeah, it's real and it hurts. But just know this, it's defeated and it knows it's defeated. We have a heavenly Father that loves us greater than we can comprehend. And all he's waiting for us is just to say, even in my grief, even in my doubt, even in my disappointment, even in my brokenness, even in my sadness, even in my questions, even in my anger, I just surrender to you. Let's pray together. And I apologize, um, we've run just a little bit, a little long, and we are, um, we're going we're to end on this, this one song. Uh, but before we do, I, I want us to pray together. And I thank you for being here and sticking, sticking with us this morning. Father, we love you. And uh, oh, we just say we don't have it figured out, and that's okay. You meet us where we are, and we want to meet you where you are. I wonder what it would be like, Father, if we truly believed what your word said. Because a lot of times we can walk around in unbelief when your scripture tells us we have victory. And that we have purpose and hope, yet we feel like... We're misunderstood. We feel like we don't have a place in the world. We question what 10 years is going to look like. And, and when God, you just want us here in the moment right now to walk with you, to know you, to love you. And even now we know that you are birthing and bringing things to life. And I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for their questions. I pray for their doubts. I pray for any hurt. Lord, would you just meet them right there in this moment? 
Meet them in this moment, oh God. And your mercy and your truth. It's in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.